0: well this morning I would like to share with you a message that has really flows out of some of the things that have been on my heart um, and really in my life that God has been challenging me on um, this morning I want to take some time to talk with you about some things to help impact your personal devotional time your your time with God I what I was telling the staff um, talking about what I was going to share this morning kind of a, a, a way to to jumpstart or kickstart your devotional life and Letting God just really use it to bring a freshness into your life. But then next week, I want to take time and share with you a message that He's stirred in my heart. And I want to speak to you on some ways to safeguard your heart and your home in a fallen culture. I see a number of of influencers and things that um, believers are really easily letting happen and speak into their life and flow into their life without even realizing the influence and the influencers behind that. So I want to take time to talk with you that as followers of Christ, things that we can do to not only safeguard our hearts, but to safeguard our homes and our mindsets and our perspectives so that as followers of Jesus Christ, we're taking our cues from the right influencers in our life rather than the ones that would lead us away from Christ. Well, this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 11, and you can also mark that and, and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You're welcome to join in on YouVersion, uh, and you'll find those notes there as well. No, we're just returning. Uh, we returned at the beginning of this week, this past week, from a couple of weeks away. Um, like you, we just carved out some time uh, to get away as a family and just to kind of find a place that we can just get settled and still. And so we went to Missouri. We were with Teresa's parents uh, while we were there, and we found that while we're there, apart from her par- her parents and a couple of other family members, there's not really a lot of people that we we know or connected to. And so it really forces us to to slow down, and uh, to really change our pace of things. We've had times as a family that we, we go on different vacations or different times away, and when my kids were younger, we would take them all during the Christmas time to New York City, and we loved that time, but it, we'd find ourselves at the end of that, that time very kind of tired because you're constantly going, and I think most of you have had those types of vacations, those times away where you're constantly going, you're constantly busy. We're intentional to, to take this time to try to slow down and to... Um, really disconnect and to really reflect, to pray, refresh, and recharge. One of the things that, that I rediscover whenever I take time like this to step away is I discover the gift of slowing down, the gift of unhurrying. I'm always intentional to try to disconnect from my email as best as I can, to disconnect from my phone and other things that would pull my attention or, or time suckers, as it's easy to call them. My wife and I, what we did, we tried to leave our our phones in the back bedroom as much as possible. Um, Didn't always do the best at it, but tried to leave it in the back. So there, there wasn't always something demanding our time or demanding our attention or pulling us away from being fully focused in the now. And as we're intentional to disconnect and to unplug from some of those things, I've found that it allows my life to settle. But more than that, it really allows my soul to begin to settle. I don't think we often realize how busy our hearts and our minds are and how they're constantly moving and constantly going and constantly being taken in other directions and focused on other things until we were intentional to try to step back from that. Then we begin to see a little bit of that hurry that we've bought into and that we've allowed to take place. There are times in life, there are times in my life, there's times in your life that we need to be moving. We need to be task-oriented. We need to get things done. But in our culture, and, and really the way of life that we see in our culture, is there is this hurried, busy pace that's constantly going. You just look at watching uh, television, if you have a television on, and you see the, the commercials that happen, or even now on YouTube, commercials will pop up, and, and you'll see how fast they're constantly changing because they realize they have to keep your attention because your attention has been trained to be focused for such a short window before it moves on to something else. And there's this, there's this busy rush and this busy pace that's continually happening in our lives and in our world and in our minds and in our hearts. And that hurried, busy pace, I really believe, can be dangerous. I really believe that hurried, busy pace can be toxic for the heart, it's toxic for the mind, and it's toxic for our faith. One of the one of the ways of our constantly being in the hurry and on the go has this ability to to damage and warp our perspective of life and our attention that we can give to others. And the thing that that I think is most dangerous when it comes to this hurried, busy pace that we're constantly in and constantly going on is while we see it creeping into other pieces and parts of life, we, I see it as as parents, it's very easy to creep into our are parenting so that your child may have to say something two or three times to finally get your attention once. Or they, you will answer someone while you're still focused on your phone or you're texting while you're trying to have a conversation with someone else or not being fully present in wherever it is and whatever it is that you're doing. One of the things that I most often see that I believe is most dangerous is this busy, hurried pace of life that I've said is toxic for our heart, mind, and faith that it has a way of creeping into our relationship with Christ. That there's always this this busyness, this on the go, always doing something. And over the the summer, and specifically on our time away, this was one of those things that, that God was really speaking to me and challenging me on in my life, and um, and just really helping me get fresh perspective on this and recognizing its impact on my life. And what I found was sometimes I was sitting to read and pray, and I would realize that it's very tempting. to I would read, but my mind is already thinking on the next place I need to read or the thing I need to write down or the, the next thing I need to do. And rather than just being fully present in what I was reading and in my, my time with God, has everybody ever else been there? You find your mindset there and just that busyness that's going. But my quiet time with him and that getting still with him, he used to really help remind me of the why behind when I fo- why I follow him. See, I don't follow Jesus because of all the good things that I can do for him. I don't follow him for all of the ministry things that I can do. I choose to follow Jesus to be with him. All of the things that I do for him flows out of my being with him. And when I look at the life of Jesus in Scripture, I see that Jesus is never in a hurry. Take, for example, in John chapter 11, Zacchaeus has died and I'm sorry, Lazarus has died and Zacchaeus was in a tree. Lazarus has died. And as Lazarus has died, you look at his sisters, Mary and Martha. And as they're there, they're wanting Jesus to get there and to solve their problem. Yet Jesus is not in a hurry. Jesus takes a couple of days to finally get there. But he's not in a hurry. He's on a very different pace. He's living life in a very different rhythm. And we see that when Jesus calls disciples and invites them, he doesn't say, come and do things with me. He doesn't go to the disciples who are fishing and ask them to leave their nets beside the boat and to walk away from the family business, and he doesn't say to them, come and, come and do things with me. He doesn't go and, and to other individuals and confront them with where they're at and in their sin or to, be with, to, to invite them to spend time with him. and his invitation is never, come and do things with me. Jesus' invitation to every one of his followers that he calls in pursuit of him is, come and be with me. Come and spend time with me. Come and learn from me by being with me. Out of that being with him, we will do things. But it's always it always begins in being with him. My first calling as a follower of Jesus Christ is not to serve him; it's to be with him. I want you to see in Matthew chapter eleven, verse twenty-eight. Jesus is talking and and he's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to the crowds that are there. But he says this and. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Look at the criteria, verse 28. He says, come to me. The invitation is we have to come. We have to come as real as we are. We have to come as messed up as we are. We have to come as exhausted as we are. We don't come with everything all nice and neat and packaged in the way that that we think Jesus would want it. I don't think Jesus told Peter when he called him from his fishing nets, I don't think Jesus told him, you know, you smell like fish. Why don't you go take a shower? Why don't you go clean up? And uh, you can't smell like fish and follow me. Jesus said, come, follow me. He didn't go to others and, and tell them to go clean up and fix things in their life, but rather he invited them to come and follow him. But it's this invitation to come and to be with him. And when I read these words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 11, once again, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, I can read this passage and I can immediately grab it and pull it into my world. I can immediately grab it and pull it into the context of what I know and what I think and what I'm experiencing. So I can look at Jesus' words and he says, everyone who's weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. And in my mind, I can immediately think of a few things that I would love to offload, a few burdens that I would love to offload and give to Jesus and not carry in my heart or carry in my mind. And those things that I would say, boy, if this were solved, if God would step in and do this and solve this burden that I'm handling, life would be so much easier but I have to remember to fully understand what Jesus is talking about, I first need to remember who he's saying it to. And when Jesus was saying, Well, what he says applies to us, and we find it speaks to us directly into our lives, I need to remember that when Jesus is saying, Come to me, everyone who's weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest, and you're going to find rest for your souls, that the, the people Jesus was immediately saying it to were first century individuals, first century disciples. And he's saying it to people who don't have cell phones that ding every single time you try to read a sentence. He's saying it to people who don't have email piling up, calling for your attention. He's saying it to people who don't have six Zoom meetings in one day that you have to get to. He's saying it to people who don't have kids that you need to run to sports and other activities when, when life resumes and all those things. He's saying it to people who don't have to get to Walmart and pick up their groceries. I mean, he's saying it to people whose life in our mindset and in our outlook would be much slower than what we would look at our lives and think. You know, they don't even have electric bills to pay. I mean, that's how simple their life would seem to us in our lives. But yet Jesus looks at them and he says, I look at you and you're weary, you're burdened, and you're worn out in such a way that your soul needs lifted. And so when I remember that Jesus is saying this to people who have probably less than 10% of the digital distractions that we have, the life distractions that we have because they have no digital distractions, they have other life cares and things and stuff that they're solving, I'm reminded that the the burden and the weariness and the pace of life, the busyness of life that we get sucked into, I'm reminded that it's not just a, a condition of the current culture we live in, but rather it's a condition of the human heart, that we always will find something that will suck us into being busy. We'll always find something that will pull our attention onto other things. We'll always find something that will cause us to reorder our priorities in a way that maybe is not the most beneficial in the long term. So Jesus reminds his disciples and he reminds us that the best way to accomplish things, the best way to solve things is to begin by coming to him. And it will solve, he will solve the weariness Burden and he'll solve the rest that we need. Now, I, su- I suggest that Jesus' invitation for us to come and be with him, to come and open our hearts and our souls to him and experience his peace and his presence in our life in a way that we seldom do actually experience. That one of the things I suggest that we can learn from Jesus, one of the first things is the proper pace at which we should follow him. It's this decluttering of our minds, this decluttering of our hearts, and refocusing fully on him. Now, I'm reminded, and I shared this with someone recently, and you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It will be there in just a minute. I'm reminded of the first century followers of Jesus and the, his disciples and the relationship that they had with Jesus. And what I shared with someone recently is that we need to remember the Holy Spirit is to us what Jesus was to his first century disciples. The Holy Spirit is to you what Jesus was to his first century disciples. The first century disciples had Jesus physically there to instruct them. He could speak into their life when they were being knuckleheads. He could give them direction. He could let them be influenced by his teaching. He could let them see the miracles. They could pull him aside one-on-one and say, Hey, Jesus, could you explain to me what you meant when you said this parable? Could you reveal this to me in a different way? Because I didn't understand it. It didn't make sense to me. So Jesus had this one-on-one relationship with his disciples, and they could call out to him and invite him for insight and invite him to understanding. And so with that in mind, I doubt any of the, those early disciples, if someone were to come and try to get between them and Jesus and say, hey, listen, I want you to go do something else. I don't want you to follow Jesus anymore, that they wouldn't have it. They'd say, no, I'm, I'm committed to following Jesus. I'm going to focus on Jesus. That they were, so, they were committed to following him. And you and I must remember is that what Jesus was to his first century disciples, the Holy Spirit is to us. And so when things would come into our lives that would try to disrupt our ongoing relationship with him, we need to recognize those as being disruptors or things much like an individual trying to step between the disciple and Jesus. That it's something, sometimes things we don't even see, things we invite that we don't realize, that steps in between us and the Holy Spirit and his influence in our life. Because the Bible continually tells us the Holy Spirit is the presence of the risen Christ with us, that he's with us each and every day, just like the disciples did with Jesus. We can spend time with the Holy Spirit, inviting him to give us insight, inviting him to give us understanding, inviting him to lead our lives. He desires to continually teach us and instruct us and guide us the same way Jesus did with his disciples. So it's with that in mind, I come to Second Corinthians chapter 3, Verse seventeen and eighteen. Listen what it says. It says, "Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit." Now, to get the full context of what is what is being written about here, and put it in the the full context of all the verses around it. Paul is talking to the believers and he's identifying the Old Testament or the Old Covenant way people related to God versus the New Covenant, the, the new relationship we have through Jesus Christ. And in the Old Covenant or the Old Testament way, the way prior to Jesus, people related to God through the written law. It was their attempts at doing, their attempts at being good, their attempts at fulfilling the, the commands that God has given. But then through Jesus Christ, the new way, we're given relationship with God through faith in Christ, through faith in what Jesus has done for me so that I can be right with him in right standing. And it specifically references a story in the Old Testament from Exodus chapter 34. And it tells the story of when Moses went to the top of a mountain, the top of Mount Sinai, and he had 40 days with God, 40 days in God's presence. This is the presence of God settled on top of the mountain like a heavy cloud, and in this time, as he came back to the people, his face was glowing. He spent so much time in the presence of God that his face was radiating the presence of God. And so the people were afraid of Moses and afraid of that, the, the, the glory of God just as it manifested off of him. So he put a veil over his face to try to kind of hide or, or to not so much let them be afraid. And it says that every time Moses went into the presence of God, he would remove that veil. And then every time he came to the presence of people, he would put the veil back up. The the passage that we looked at in, in 2 Corinthians references this story, but it gives us new understanding. It helps us see that as followers of Jesus Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we have full access to God the Father that is no longer a segmented momentary experience as Moses had on the mountain, nor is it a segmented experience as when Jesus left this town and went to this town, but rather it's a continuous ongoing relationship and ongoing revelation and ongoing insight, ongoing transformational relationship that we have access to because of our ongoing relationship with God the Father through the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit living inside of us. It's this ongoing invitation for him to work, for him to reveal, for him to move. And I want you to see something specifically in verse 18. It says, we all with unveiled faces contemplate, or depending what translation you have, it might say behold or reflect or reflect on the Lord's glory, and we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. But it says, with unveiled faces without hindrance, we are to contemplate or behold or reflect on the Lord's glory. And that the word contemplate or behold or reflect, it's not talking about just a casual glance, a five minutes and then we're done, a, a quick looking and we move on. The, the word actually carries the idea of someone standing in front of a mirror, just gazing deeply at the mirror or gazing deeply at whatever's in front of them, trying to best understand it or take it in. You may have seen before different individuals, whether it be in a movie or even going to an art exhibit, and you'll see individuals coming and going, then you'll see others just standing there and continually looking and, and taking in everything that's, that's happening. And if that's the idea, this, this contemplating, this slowing down and reflecting on. And it says that, that we, with openness, are invited to behold and reflect on God's glory and that becomes an avenue that God uses to bring change and transformation. The point is, it's not a casual, quick thing that we do. It's not a casual, quick thing, but rather it's a very intentional looking to understand and to know. I mentioned earlier the different types of vacations we'll take as a family. And when my kids were much smaller, we would go at Christmas time to New York City. And my wife is just really uh, does a great job of, of helping plan out trips, rather than, so we're very intentional with our time and with each trip we would go we had some friends in brooklyn that would stay with and with each trip that we would go she trying to find some unique place or something that we could go and and just kind of take in that would be a, a, out of the norm of what we would normally do and so sometimes there were these different museums we'd go to and and i remember going a couple of times we went to the i believe it's the museum of of natural history right near um central park and just a, a massive museum, several city blocks. And you try taking little kids into a museum and, um, you know, if you've done that, you'll know that 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 can be a mixed experience. We would walk up to an exhibit and, you know, neither my wife or I are ones who sit there and read every detail or try to take in every single exhibit. Uh, But we would walk up and, and our kids might look at it quickly and they would take in what they're seeing and then they'd move on. And within a few seconds, they're gone. And it might be something that my wife and I, we wanted to take some time to look at and to read. And so we might read the little placard, or I'd have the kid at me. Well, what's, it, what's this about? What's this mean? And so I'm trying to read, you know, like this, this uh, explanation of it in a quick second to give them understanding on it. But my point is, is in that encounter, in that time in that museum or wherever it was that we were, we could be standing in the very same room, standing in front of the exact same exhibit, And between my kids and I, we would have a very different experience. We could be looking at the same thing, and then within seconds, my kids could be three exhibits down, and I'm still standing at the first one trying to read and take it in. My point is that we were in the same room, and we could walk away with very different experiences. And much like when we gather here on a Sunday morning, or when we all spend time and perhaps even reading the very same verses that we've read Each walks away with something different based on our commitment and our willingness to contemplate or reflect on or behold what it is that God may be speaking to us and challenging us with. That when it comes to my relationship with God, I have found that I often fail to know him more because I fail to behold him more. That the, the revelation, the insight, the understanding that God desires to speak into my life and to Reveal and to make himself known is really the, the gauge on it is how much I'm willing to put into it. How much time and investment and focus I'm willing to put into it. And it's not something, as, not meaning something like go sit on Mount Nittany and, you know, uh, and sing kumbaya and, and get alone and all these things. I'm talking about going through life, but keeping the truth of who God is and the perspective of who He is in front of us so He can continually reveal Himself to us. It's so easy in life to go through life and welcome distractions. Some distractions we can control, others that we can't, but all of them steal our focus away from knowing him more fully. And I find that the more I'm in a hurry or the more busy I try to just simply fit him in into my life, that I won't ever really grow in knowing him in the way that he has designed for me with relationship with him. And I want you to see something in verse 17. It says, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It says that where God works, there's freedom he brings. Freedom in our lives, freedom in our mindsets, freedom in our perspectives, freedom in our hearts, freedom in our joy, freedom in, you really could fill in the blank with the freedom that he can bring into our lives. But if you look and it says, it says the Lord is freedom, It's where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that really it comes down to our willingness to take time to consider who he is. Our willingness to contemplate or behold or to think about more and more who he is. In other words, as we slow down and train our hearts and train our souls to not be in a rush, to not be in a hurry in our relationship with God, that that becomes the very avenue that he uses to bring change and transformation in us. And this whole idea of of slowing down and not being in a rush as we approach who God is, and our desire to grow in knowing him um, is really not just something contained to this passage. It's, it's really spread all throughout Scripture, ones that we're even familiar with. Can you put Isaiah chapter 40 on the screen for me? Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It says, but those who hope, or uh, other translations would say those who wait in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. But it says those who hope or those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And that word really speaks of, of a commitment and a willingness to, to bind together, to be sewn together. And it says those who are willing to, to be patient, to slow down and to wait on God will find the strength they need. And it says they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. You'll find everything that you need for every pace in life, every challenge in life, every circumstance you face. But it links back to our willingness to wait on God. And those are, those are things, those strengths that he desires to give you, the wisdom he desires to give you, the insight he desires to give you, the revelation he desires to give you, the insight you need for your family, the insight you need for your classroom, the insight you need for your workplace, the insight you need for your business is not going to happen in a five-minute driving prayer session. It's going to take a commitment and a willingness to slow down our hearts, to slow down our minds to set things aside, and to really focus on him. So what I'd love to do is uh, really believe as we move into this season, busy with school, busy with, with change, busy with classes, busy with work, busy with all sorts of things that are happening, that I'd love to help you be intentional in finding ways to change your rhythm or change your pace so that you can have that adequate quality time and allowing God to reveal and to make himself known as we slow our hearts down and truly try to reflect on who he is. And it's when in those spaces the Holy Spirit can do his greatest work in us. So here's just some very practical things that I'd love to give you as steps you can take to um, use in your life. These, most of these you'll find are not new. You've heard me talk about them before. But the first one I would encourage you, ways to unhurry your relationship with God is in the list as I've described it. Ways to unhurry your relationship with God. First is to read slowly and journal. Read slowly and journal. I have found in my reading that less is more. Less is more. I'm all in favor of different reading plans that help you get through different books of Scripture or read through the whole Scriptures in a certain amount of time. But I don't ever want an individual to let that reading plan dictate their time with God that I've seen individuals so committed to making sure they get through their plan that they're reading five and six and seven chapters a day of something that may be in like Leviticus or in Numbers or somewhere that, that their their mind after a while is just kind of numb. And I've asked them, what are you reading? Well, I'm just trying to get through this plan and get caught up. And that's not our goal, and that's not our focus. Our focus is to spend time with him. So I encourage you to, to slow down. Be intentional to spend time with him, but slow down your, your, maybe your pace of reading so that you can walk away with something I would rather know that my children walk away knowing one or two verses and the truth of those verses in their heart to carry through the day than to know that they read through three or four chapters in a day. Because carrying the truth is transformational, not checking off four chapters in a book being read. And so it's inviting God by his word to speak to us. Um, He speaks with greater clarity in my life when I choose to slow down and listen. I am not a huge fan of journaling, but I do it. I go through seasons. I don't, I don't open my journal. I don't say, dear journal. And then I don't begin to go through a whole list and fill up page after page after page. It might be a day or two, and then I'll, I'll journal. It might be a paragraph or a couple of paragraphs, or I might have several days in a row, and then I might have a couple of days where I don't. But I try to keep it in front of me, the discipline of journaling, because the discipline of journaling trains my heart to listen. It trains my heart to slow down and process what it is that God is speaking to me and what he's revealing to me. Jesus with his disciples, they gained more insight and relationship than the masses because they prioritized being with him and listening. So we prioritize time of reading, reading slowly and and listening. And I have found that he speaks with clarity as I'm committed to listen. So first, read slowly and listen. Secondly, read a different translation. I, we, we're people of habit. We love to go to the things that we're familiar with. And if you look in my Bible, I have all sorts of things marked up and circled and notes written and just stuff that stands out to me, ways that God has spoken to me on something. But sometimes if I'm reading through a a passage and I'm reading through it uh, again, my mind will go to those spaces that I've circled or those places I've highlighted or those things that I've written down. And sometimes it's like my mind is just stuck in the rut of how I thought the last time I read through it. Or I'll read a passage, I'll read a story, and my mind fills in the things that it thinks it knows, and so I don't stay as, as focused or in tune to what it is I'm reading. Has anybody ever else had that, or is it just me, myself and Pastor David? Thank you. We we have these challenges um, that our mind just gets stuck in those places. So I encourage you, find a different translation. Find one that stretches you and perhaps even makes you a bit uncomfortable. Allowing God to speak to you through a different channel in a different way so your heart can hear him with greater clarity. One of the things that I'll do is, um, and I've shared this, is I'll take a a book in the Bible, I 'm doing this with some of my kids right now. I'm, I take a, a book or two in the Bible, smaller ones, and we 'll reread it and reread it and reread it for a month. We'll mix in different translations. So right now we 're reading First and Second Peter and Jude and just letting God speak to our lives. And so in the end, that might sound like, well, you're reading three, three books, but really in all it's, it's like maybe eight chapters, shorter chapters of just letting the truth of God permeate our hearts, but from different perspectives and different translations that causes our minds to think. Um, I, I another thing I would encourage you to do is mix up your routine. Mix up your routine. Our life goes through rhythms and cycles. While your work may be constant, maybe you don't have schooling happening or kids heading out to the bus or other things happening, but your work may be constant. But because of the rhythms and seasons of life, our rhythms are different. And so don't be afraid from time to time to mix up your routine that helps recognize the, the space and the rhythm that you're currently in. My reading plan, when I read and I'm committed to read and where I'm reading at, typically I'm reading on the weekends, I'm reading in a different place than I am through the week because my weekend rhythm is different than my weekday rhythm. And so I'm reading and always reading somewhere in the Old Testament and somewhere in the New Testament. I shared with you where I'm currently reading in the New Testament. When it comes to the Old Testament, I have been working my way through, but at my own pace and my own rhythm. And so I'm reading and I'm currently in Isaiah and And Isaiah at five in the morning on a Monday morning is hard to read. Isaiah at nine a m on Saturday morning is not so much, and so I'll, it gives me room and space to to spend time with him and to embrace the different space or rhythms or seasons i'm also I have an ongoing pattern through the psalms and proverbs and i 'm always Finishing the Psalms, going to Proverbs. Finishing the Proverbs, going to Psalms. And sometimes I'll mix that into into a Sunday morning or I'll mix that into a Saturday morning. But just recognizing I want my heart to stay open and fresh and hungry for the things of God. And so I realize the different rhythms and patterns in life that come and go. I'm going to recognize those and allow God's word to speak to me through those rather than trying to force something that doesn't fit into the space and season. If, If you find when it comes to your routine, if you find that the morning does not work with you, then perhaps try a lunch break. If, if, you, can take a, if you have a 30-minute lunch break and you can step outside your, your workplace, go sit in your car so someone's not, not uh, interrupting you and have your Bible, spend time in your car, eat lunch and read. Whether it might be in the evening, it might mean on your way home, Stop at the park and, and grab a bench and spend 20 minutes just spending time with God and letting your heart and your mind decompress. Don't be afraid to mix up your rhythm is my point. that We can get so much in a rut that we fail to recognize God's desire to speak to us, and he speaks to us through every season, every space, and every place. Next one. I believe it's four. Digitally disconnect. Disconnect when you spend time with God digitally turn things off. I don't think we realize how much of an interruption, a quick text, a quick call, a social status update, um, those all can be be very intentional and very timely in interrupting a flow of thought and an ability to listen. Many times there's even the urge, if you're on social media, you read something or a verse stands out and there's this urge, like, ooh, I want to share this with the world. And so you pause, and you'll want to take a picture, and then you want to get the right filter, the right lens, the right angle. You want to make sure the picture's all set. And before long, you've lost your focus. Just turn off and get disconnected from social media when you spend time with God. God does not want to speak to you and the rest of the world. He wants to speak to you. And so just turn off all your connections to the rest of the world, and allow him just to speak and pour into your life. That might mean Um, That might mean putting your cell phone in another room and turning it completely off so you don't hear it vibrate, you don't hear it chime, you don't hear it ring. But find a way to disconnect. One of the things that I want to challenge our church family with, and this would begin on the the first day of September, and we'll go through the month of September at least, I'd encourage you to, to figure out if one month is enough for you and your family. But I'm challenging the SCA family for the month of September to take a social media fast, to disconnect from all social media, all avenues, all forms, and recognize are there other influencers in your life and in your thinking that you need to disconnect from? It might mean the different news sources that you use. It might mean changing your homepage on your internet. Whatever those things are that are shaping your mindset and shaping your outlook, disconnect for at least a month. And I would encourage you, you might find that in that you need to go more than a month. But the goal and the commitment is to let your heart detox from the culture, from the news, and from the world so that you can more clearly and more fully hear God's voice. That if there is ever an hour in history where, where mankind needs to hear and see a representation of God's presence and his spirit and his people, it's now. And the only way that we can be the people of God led and formed by the Spirit of God is when we are not taking our cues from all the influencers in our world and in our culture and all the things that are telling you how you should think, what you should think, how you should respond, and all that you should do. Instead, we need to have our hearts dialed in and tuned clearly to hear the voice of God, to hear his promptings, to recognize how he leads us to think on situations, how he leads us to think of circumstances, how he leads us to think of the current life issues and the challenges that we're facing, how he leads us to deal with the the issues in our culture, the issues that we see happening daily. And I encourage you, in that detoxing, in that disconnecting, you might might think, well, what if something significant happens? How am I going to find out about it? I Trust me, you'll hear about it. You'll find out about it one way or another. But you will find that one month of being disconnected from social media and all those other news outlets and sources, number one, you'll find that your opinion on the web does not mean nearly as much as you thought it did. You'll find that the world still spun and life still went on without your postings and comments and opinions. And then secondly, you'll find that you'll view the world and hear the world in a very different perspective Because your perspective starts with who you are in Christ and who he is rather than what's happening in the world and letting that be a filter and lens with which we approach him and approach his word. Now for those I realize who watch online and you're right now watching the live stream, we use the church page and a live stream right through the church Facebook page. We are currently working, when I say we, I use that loosely. Pastor Melvin is currently working on creating um, a separate spot that we can now have our live stream separate and disconnected from Facebook. When that happens, we'll let you know so you won't miss a beat. You'll, you'll find it every single Sunday. But if, if, just as technology goes, if we don't get there quite yet, I encourage you to join us on the Facebook page, but, but deny the urge to check all of your other notifications, to scroll and check all the other things. Just go right through the church page, click on the link, find our church, um, the, the service, and join us there. Let's be intentional to disconnect our hearts from this world, so that we can more deeply dive into the truth of who God is and what He's speaking. And the last thing, the last thing I would give you, is to make time for a personal prayer retreat. You've you've heard me talk about this, and and I I challenge the pastoral staff to take time once a month that they can have a, a prayer retreat of some sort of a day, just to to really get still and hear God's voice. You might look at your life and you say, if you knew the busyness of my life, you know how hard it is to take a day away. And don't take a day. Take a half a day. Start with an hour. Expand it to two hours. But make an appointment with yourself to get alone with God. And you will find in those first few minutes or even the first uh, maybe more than a minute, if you have more than an hour that you're doing, maybe the first hour or more, you'll find that your mind is racing with all of these things that need your attention you'll find that your whole heart has this restlessness like you should check something you should do something you should write something down you should check your email because someone might be needing you you should check the text that just came in or all of these other things that would pull and demand your attention but then you will find if you're diligent to hold to that space and create that time that your focus is primarily on who God is and his presence and allowing his, his spirit and his word to speak into your life, you will find that once that, that rush of chaos in your mind and in your heart, everything demanding your attention ends, it's at the end of that that you'll find the peace and the presence of God. Because what happens is we've been going so fast at such a crazy pace in life that when you finally get still and stop, that your insides are still going, your mind is still going. And so there's this slowing down and disconnecting and allowing the spirit of God and the presence of God and the voice of God to speak into our lives. And so I'd encourage you, and I would challenge you, and you might have other things that that work with you with your personality and who you are, but recognizing the importance and the priority of making space to let the presence of God and the Spirit of God speak to us through his word and allowing him, as we behold him, to bring change and renewal and transformation in us.